Well, good morning and welcome to Sojourn. It's good to see you guys. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here and good to gather with you on uh, the Sunday or the weekend before Christmas weekend. And we'll tell you a little bit about our schedule and whatnot for next Sunday for Christmas Eve. But just glad to gather with you this morning as we continue to celebrate this Advent season together. Uh, We're going to be in uh, the Bible as we are every week during this time, just opening up, preaching God's Word. So if you need a copy of the Scriptures this morning, if you would just raise your hand and somebody will bring a copy of the Bible around to you uh, so that you can read along with us this morning. So just keep your hand up until they find you this morning. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, please feel free to take that home with you. That's our gift to you. We always want you to have God's Word, not just on a Sunday morning, uh, but all throughout the week as well. Before we open up to the scriptures, though, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless this time. So let's pray together. Father, what a gift it is to gather together this morning. It's a gift to be together with your people, sitting next to one another, singing with one another, having your word read over us, and now opening up your word to receive what you have for us in it. So Lord, I pray that we would always remember that it's a gift of grace that we get to be here today. And that in your goodness and your providence, you've called us together as a church here in Fairfax, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, it's a gift of your grace to bring those here this morning that are maybe checking out a church, looking for a community to be a part of. Those that are here this morning that maybe are just trying to figure out if you're real or if this whole Jesus thing really matters or not. Lord, we're just grateful that we get to be together this morning, that in your providence you called each and every one of us to be here. And so, Lord, I pray as we open up your word now that you would help us to see you in it, that we'd receive what you have for us in it. I pray, Father, to, that you would help us to be present with you and recognize that you are present with us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would make yourself known in power today, that by the power of your Spirit that you would work in us as you work through us, that you would be glorified in our lives and in our time in your word now. And so we give this time to you. We pray that it would honor you. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, one of the things I do love that we do every single week together is we get to sing together. I love that we just to hear our voices raised up, and it's fun having the choir on stage again this week, and just to, to worship together through song. You know, singing and songs have been uh, a part of my life for a long time. I, I'm not musically gifted or talented at all, but I love music, and it's just an important part of, of my life, my family's life. We love to sing and dance around with one another, listen to music in the car, all that kind of stuff. And music in general is one of the oldest art forms. It's one of the oldest expressions, and it transcends culture and time. I mean, we can go to distant and remote people groups that once they're discovered have songs. They have songs that are part of their culture, a part of their heritage. Throughout history and across cultures, songs have been used to encourage. They've been used to emote. They've been used to express, to teach, to learn, to be refreshed, to be reminded of central truths. There are serious songs, songs of revolution and reform, songs that unite people together to stand up against injustices, songs like We Shall Overcome, one of the many anthems of the civil rights movement of the 1960s. Then there are silly songs that oftentimes make absolutely no sense yet are entertaining. For instance, in my house right now, that's the Gummy Bear song. If you don't know what that is, you can look it up on YouTube and it will be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. My kids love that song and so we listen to it at our house. 
Now, songs and singing, though, have also been a part of the people of God for a long time, the history of God's people. For instance, when Israel fled Egypt after being enslaved in Egypt for some 400 years, once they crossed over the Red Sea, once God had done that miraculous work to cross over the Red Sea on dry land, when they got to the other side, they broke out in song, led by Moses in song to give worship to God. And singing, as I said, is still such a critical part of the gathering of God's people, of the church today. We are called to do this for the same reason, to sing together. We see that in places like Colossians chapter 3. That gives us opportunity to do those same things, to emote, to express, to teach, to learn, to be encouraged and reminded and refreshed in the truths of who God is and who we are in light of who God is. To unite our voices together in one voice, singing to God and singing to one another. Songs and singing are such an important part to the believer's life, to the corporate gathering of God's people, that the longest book of the Bible is a book of songs, a book of songs and prayers. Now, as a church, we've been in the book of Hebrews for a while now, since the end of April, but we're going to take a break from Hebrews over the next few weeks, and today we're going to jump into the song book of God's people, and we're going to look at Psalm 46, a psalm and a song that is a timeless expression of hope. And what we will see in this psalm, as we are just over a week away from Christmas, is that what we celebrate at Christmas has been rooted in the character and the nature of God before Jesus was born. And so my hope today, as we continue to celebrate Advent together as a church, is that whether you call yourself a Christian or not, whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, that God will use this time in his word to give you hope. That he will use this time in his word to give you joy. And that he would do so in the midst of uncertain and uneasy times. Uncertain and uneasy times in our world. Uncertain and uneasy times in our country right now. And for some of us, uncertain and uneasy times in your life. So with that, let's go ahead and open up to Psalm 46. And may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Psalm 46, the author of the psalm writes this. This is God's word to us this morning. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved to the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now this is a fairly short psalm. It's a short psalm, but it's packed with some pretty amazing truths that give great comfort to God's people. 
And verse 1 is the overarching message and point, really, of this psalm. And it's a strong and encouraging truth. The author makes a strong declarative statement about God. He says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He is our refuge. He's a a place of protection, a place of safety, a place of shelter. He is a safe stronghold for his people. He's our strength. In him there is power and might and ability. He's not lacking in his ability to defend, to protect. He's not lacking in his ability to overcome and defeat. And he is a very present help in trouble. Man, what good news this is for us. He is present, not distant. And it says he's very present. He's he's active. He's close. He's involved. He's ready. He's attentive. He is a helper who is always found in time of trouble. He is always ready to help in time of trouble. There's no settling with God, no sitting, no standing by, aloof to what's going on. Our God is on high alert, always engaged, always helping, always working. I mean, it's God that's those things. Not castles, not armories, not governments, not our wit or our knowledge, not our personal strength, not the gifts that God's given to us, not our own fortitude. We don't find it in our homes or our things, our bank accounts, our jobs, or our families. It's our God, the God. And he's not just a refuge, he is the refuge. But notice what it says here. It says that he is our refuge, our strength. So often when we read scripture, we tend to only think about it in individual terms. Our western ears process things in an individualized way. So for a lot of us, we can, be, can kind of be a me first, everyone else is periphery. For many of us, our spiritual life is only seen in light of our individual life. Our spiritual life is seen only in light of our individual life. It's me and God, and that's it. But what he's saying here is this hour here is that it's not about me, it's about us. This is for God's people. It is to God's people and it is for God's people. And they've been singing this and looking at this scripture for a long, long time. So this is for God's people and to God's people then and now and forever. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is a very present help to us in trouble. Us together, the family of God together. Now, if this was all this psalm said, if it stopped at verse 1 and this was it, it would be really encouraging to us helpful to us because this timeless truth that it's communicating to us about our unchanging God is this. He is always there and all we have to do is run to him for refuge. He is always there and all we need to do is run to him for refuge, run into his refuge. But that's not all the psalm says. The psalmist goes on. He says, verse two, therefore, Therefore, in light of verse 1, because of who God is, what does he say? We will not fear. We will not fear. We will not be afraid. It's another declarative statement. It doesn't say, so don't be afraid. It doesn't say, so we shouldn't be afraid. It says, we will not. We will not. The community of God, his people, those he calls his own, will not be afraid afraid. Why? Because of a sure truth in who God is. 
See, because of a sure truth and because of who God is, it affects the inward heart and mind of the people of God. It transforms us from the inside out. So here's another key truth for us from verse 2. Our lack of fear, our ability to not fear in a time of trouble isn't rooted in our ability to logically work out a way in our minds out of that trouble through our thinking or reasoning or understanding. And oftentimes I think in our Western mindset, when something comes into our life that's difficult or challenging as we look at the world around us, that's where we go. We go into our mind and we think, how can I logically get out of this situation? And that's where my hope will come. I won't be fearful if I can figure things out. But that's not what he's saying here. This ability to not be fearful isn't rooted in us at all. It's rooted in God and his nature, his character, who he is and what he does. That means a lack of fear doesn't come from our own boldness. It doesn't come from our own courage. In this instance, it comes from God in him. And then the author teases this out a little more. Because we might be sitting here thinking, well, sure, I guess that makes sense in the small things of life. I, I get that God is present in the small things of life, that he's in control of those things. But what about the big things in life, the big things in my life, the big things in our world? So what does he do? He introduces some hyperbolic chaos into the psalm. He says, because of who God is, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. The mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. The waters roar and foam. The mountains tremble at the swelling floodwaters. What he's doing here is giving a poetic description of chaos overtaking order. It's kind of a picture of decreation. The unraveling of creation. A groaning, reeling creation that's groaning and reeling due to the fractured Nature that's been caused by sin, caused by rebellion against God, caused by rebellion against his good design. But to personalize this a bit more, what this is showing us is is it's a picture of really difficult, seemingly insurmountable things. Whether those things are personal or global. And what we learn in this is no matter what comes our way in the world or life, God is our refuge and strength. And because of that, we will not fear even when things are crumbling all around us. See, what we see in these first few verses of this psalm is a key truth. God is for his people. God is for his people. God is for you. So let me ask you this morning. Do you believe this about God? Do you believe this, that he is for you in the midst of our chaotic world, in the midst of chaotic circumstances that might exist in your life right now? Do you believe this about God? Maybe the answer for you this morning is yes, I I do believe it. Maybe the answer for you is no, and maybe the answer is maybe, sometimes, not always. But no matter what your answer was in the past, no matter what your answer is right now in this moment, no matter what your answer will be in the future, I believe the rest of this song of hope can be of great help to us to have that enduring hope in a God who is for us. The psalmist has just been writing about the raging waters that bring death and destruction, but then in verse 4, he talks about water that brings life. Look at verses 4 through 6. 
It says there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. There was a river in the beginning, a river that watered the garden in that perfect place that God had created for humanity to exist, walking with him in the coolness of the day, in his presence where God dwelt with his people. There was a river that watered the garden before sin entered in and caused destruction and decay of God's good creation. But now the author says there's another river. And this time it's not watering a garden, it's watering a city where again God dwells with his people. And because God is in the midst of the city, it's immovable. See, the strength of the city is not based on anything in and of itself, not because it has a great army or a strength of population. It's because God is there, because God is present. Because he is present, he again is able to help the people in this place. Now, something we have to take note of in this is that there is a now and not yet aspect to these verses. Now and not yet is a phrase that we talk about at our church often as we study Scripture because what we need to understand is a lot of what we see in the Scriptures has this idea that God has brought a fulfillment of something now, but it's not fully fulfilled yet. There's a future glory, a future grace, a future hope that is to come. And this Advent season really focuses in on that, that Christ has come and he will come again. He has come, yet we look forward to the day when he will return again. So we see that in these verses. This city that the author is speaking of wasn't a place that the original audience experienced, and the same is true for us. And just like we saw in Hebrews chapter 11, the author here is talking about the new city, The new city that is to come, the city with lasting foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now, why does the psalmist mention this in this song that he's writing? Well, it's because the people of God have always lived in a tumultuous world. Nations rage. That happened then, and it happens now. Kingdoms totter. That happened then, and it happens now. But when God speaks, everything melts away. So what's the point of all this? The author is calling the people of God to find their hope in him. Not in the temporal kingdoms of this world. Not in the temporal places of this world. Not in anything in this world that will not last because God alone will last. It is in God that we have security and peace that we have protection and victory and help in time of need. All are found in him. Which leads to the declaration of verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is very similar to what we see in verse 5, except that this time it isn't just that God is in the city, but that God is with his people. God is with us. He's not just for us. See, God could be for us and remain distant, right? He he could be for us and cheer us on from a distance, but it doesn't just say he's for us. He is also with us. And being with us isn't just about his presence with us, but that he's active. He's active in our lives, and he's active to bring about deliverance in our world and our lives. It also says God is our fortress, our stronghold, that refuge, that high tower, that place of safety. Martin Luther wrote the well-known hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, based off of Psalm 46. 
See, because God is for us and because God is with us, because of those things, he's a haven to us. What comforting news. What comforting news is we find ourselves in the tumults of life, right? We find ourselves, whether it's just personal things that we're struggling with right now, the effects of sin in our life, whether that's sickness or trial or difficulty, or if we just look around and see the world around us. Flip on CNN. It's not difficult for us to see that our world is in a place of destruction and decay. And so with all those truths about God, the author calls us and calls the world to action. Verses 8 and 9. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Because God is active, because God is near, because God is involved in our world and in our lives, we can do what the author calls us to, what he's compelling us to do. He's given us all these truths about who God is, and he says, come and see. Come and stand amazed. And in the list of works that he lists off also have this now and not yet aspect to them. God brings desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease on the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns chariots with fire. This is happening now in some ways, but it's not yet complete. There's a future hope contained here because God will do it. It will come about. All of these things are painting the picture that God is going to bring peace. Not temporal peace, but a lasting peace to bring and restore shalom that perfect harmony, that perfect unity between God and man. And then we come to verse 10. And the speaker of this verse changes. It's no longer the author speaking, declaring truths about God. It's God speaking, declaring truths about himself. Look at verses 10 and 11. It says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is an often quoted verse, verse 10, among believers, among Christians. But if you've heard this verse before, we usually hear it and it just stops at the first part. Be still and know that I am God. But when we actually take this verse in context and we see the whole verse together and recognize that it's in this whole psalm, all of Psalm 46, it's even more promising it's even more hopeful to, for us because we find ourselves in a place where the world is rocking and reeling because of sin we see that all around us the nations rage the kingdoms totter but god declares over all of that be still and know that i am god so first and foremost this isn't a call to you as an individual when god declares be still and know that i am god this is first and foremost a call to the nations Stop your fighting. Stop your insurrection against me. Stop asserting yourself as a God or demigod and savior of the world. Stop looking for a savior in anyone else or anything else besides me. As he speaks to the nations about this, instead what he says is be quiet, be still, stop and know I am God. But it is also a call to God's people collectively together. Stop fretting over life. Stop freaking out. Stop frantically seeking security in someone or something else. No, be quiet. Be still. Stop. Pause. No. Believe. I am God. 
There's no other source of peace, no other source of power, no other God who is present. There is no other. But see, be still doesn't just mean be silent. Though silence for us in our Western world is a very needed and necessary thing. It would serve us well to get away. It would serve us well to be in places and times of silence and solitude in our life. But what I don't want us to think is that it's always and only in those times that we find God. It's not that we only find God in times of silence. What the psalmist is saying is that we can find him in the noise of life. We can find him in the noise of life when things are crazy, when the world and life seems to be crashing down around us. Be still. Be still. It's about stopping and seeing the greatness and power and might and majesty that belong to God and him alone. Not to the nations, not to the powerful, not to the knowledgeable, not to the elite, not that those, to those who think that they have everything together, and certainly not to us. Not to us who oftentimes struggle with, have a constant desire for control in our lives. Then when we see chaos rise up around us, when there's chaotic things happening in our life, what we tend to gravitate towards, where we tend to have fears when things are out of our control. And God says to you, be still and know that I am God, not you. I am God. See, to God, this God that he's calling us to, reminding us of, is not a God that's some local deity, some unknown or incapable God, but to God who will be exalted among the nations, God who will be exalted in the earth, God who made all the nations, God who made all of the earth. See, we need to see God is committed to his global fame. God is committed to his global glory, and it is for the good of the people. Man, what a glorious picture of God. God who is our refuge and strength. God who is our very present help in time of need. God who is for us And God who is with us. This psalm, this song, is a declaration of all of these truths about God. Maybe you have a song in your life that you turn on or you hear, and man, it just gets you fired up. Just kind of that anthem for your life. Or maybe it's that song you put on before you go to the gym, or when you're getting ready to go do something big. You're like, man, I just need to put this on, it'll get me fired up. Or maybe there's a song or kind of an anthem that you know that it kind of gets a whole group of people fired up. My wife and I went to Virginia Tech for college, and at every home football game since the year of 2000, before the players run out of the tunnel onto the field, something happens. And if you're a Hokie, you know what I'm talking about. The opening chords of Enter Sandman by Metallica start playing, and that stadium goes crazy. I mean, those chords start playing, and the fans are just jumping around. Thousands upon thousands of people are going nuts in the stands. There's so many fans jumping around when that song starts that it actually registers on the seismograph in Blacksburg. It gives you goosebumps when you're there. When you hear that coming, you're like, oh, man, it's about to happen. We're about to do this. People get fired up. This song, Psalm 46, written for and sung by God's people for thousands of years, Thousands of years, not just 17 or 18 years to get you fired up for a football game. Thousands of years this song has been sung to get you fired up, to get God's people fired up. It's a song of confidence for the community. It's a reminder and encouragement that God's people do not need to fear when the world seems unstable, 
whether that's personally or globally. It's sung as a reminder and a means of hope that no matter what is going on, God's people can rest in this truth and keep moving forward. This psalm and song of confidence is for the community, but the confidence level it brings isn't because of the style of music. It's not because of the chords that are played. It's not because, oh, I like the the beat of this and that's what's getting me fired up. It isn't because the people themselves are really strong or really powerful. And I would say it isn't even just confidence in the power of Almighty God. It's confidence that this same almighty, powerful God who spoke all of creation into existence, who created everything that there ever has been or will be out of nothing, who has existed for all eternity, it's this God that is for us. It's this God that is with us. That's where my confidence lies. I mean, what an insane, confidence-producing, hope-rendering reality. And Psalm 46 rehearses that for God's people, and it has done so for a very, very long time. But this song and the truths that it expounds mean so much more now for us as God's people. Because the promise of God being for us and with us has come to take on a whole new reality. See, when they're talking about God's presence, this can't be talking specifically about the temple of God. In the temple of God, God's presence was said to dwell there and the people would come there to offer sacrifice, but that temple was destroyed. And then a rebuild was taking place and it was finished but as we learn in the book of Haggai the former glory that once was there wasn't there they were longing for something more full to come at that same time God's people were very disobedient to him and he had sent prophets over and over again to call them back to repentance but they had continued to disobey and so God stopped sending prophets and so the voice of the Lord essentially went silent for some 400 years for God's people They didn't hear from him. But then, not just a word from the Lord came, the word of the Lord came. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And the word that dwelt among us, he came not with pomp and circumstance, not with fanfare and prestige. He didn't come with armies or chariots or anything like that. He came as a baby, born to a poor family in very humble circumstances, in a small rural town outside of the big city. And what was his name to be? An angel of the Lord came to his soon-to-be adoptive father and made that abundantly clear. Matthew chapter 1, the angel says, She, meaning Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew makes this comment. He says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why do I mention all this today? What what does all this mean? Simply and extravagantly this. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the promises of Psalm 46. 
Jesus can de- declare himself, verses 10 and 11. Be still, those who wage war against the bearers of God. Be still, those who seek to steal, kill, and destroy. Be still, those who are suffering from the effects of sin, whatever those may may be. Be still and know that I, Jesus Christ, am God. I, Jesus Christ, will be exalted among the nations. I, Jesus Christ, will be exalted in the earth. I am the Lord of hosts, and I am with you. See, Jesus comes to explain and expose the nature and character of God to us. Not from a distance. He doesn't phone it in. He's not doing it in an uninvolved way, but by taking on our humanity, living in the brokenness of this world. He does so by breaking the curse of sin and death and the power of Satan over the people of God. And isn't that insane news? Amazing news for us. And it's so easy for this level of extraordinariness, this level of insanity, though, for us to be lost on us here in 2017. A lot of us know the Christmas story. My guess is a lot of us this morning have a nativity scene maybe set up at our house. You've got a baby lying in a manger, and you've got Mary and Joseph and shepherds and the wise men you're going to be correct, they should be a little bit further away from the nativity scene because they didn't come right then. Move them to the other side of your house. We have that stuff, right? We know Jesus is the reason for the season. But our lips recite and rehearse truths that often don't impact our hearts. They do. They recite and they rehearse truths that often don't impact our hearts. As one author recently wrote, when God declared this truth through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Psalm 46, no one believed Emmanuel literally meant God would become flesh and dwell among them. God's ways were much wilder than even his people had imagined, the author says. But maybe the reality for you and for me this morning is that we often still don't believe Emmanuel means literally God has become flesh and dwelt among us. But perhaps, maybe, this Christmas season, even today, even now, together, we can slow down. We can slow down enough through the incessant noise of our world and our lives, whether that's through laughter or crying. We can slow down enough and come and behold the works of the Lord, our God who is for us and with us. Because again, Jesus fulfills all of these things. Through him, all things were created. By him, all things are held together in our world and in our life. Jesus calms the seas, the raging seas, by speaking over them. And what he says is, peace, be still. He speaks peace. He brings peace. He is our peace. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. Jesus defeats all spiritual foes and forces. He is the overcomer. He is the death conqueror. He raised Lazarus from the dead, from the grave, by calling out his name and calling him to come forth. And soon himself, after he was crucified on a rugged Roman cross, having done nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong, living in perfect obedience, but going to a cross willingly to bear the punishment of our sin and our rebellion, satisfying the righteous wrath of God, Jesus rose again and now sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, having crushed the head of that serpent. Listen, 
every foe or fiend in this world or your life, whether physical or spiritual, will not have final say, will not have dominion over you, because Jesus came to us as one of us to rescue us. Satan, sin, and death are defeated by him. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our very present help in trouble. And he has come. Even now, he is for us. And he is with us. And he promises to you that he will never leave you, that he will never forsake you, that he will be with you to the very end of the age, and he will bring you all the way home. Brothers and sisters, we will encounter trial and struggle and challenge in this world. That will happen. Some of you are experiencing it right now personally. We see it all around us. The world has rejected Jesus. The world will continue to reject Jesus, but that hasn't stopped Jesus. That hasn't stopped our Savior King. And Advent is a good time to remember that truth. As one philosopher, one writer wrote, into this world, this demented inn, in which there's absolutely no room for him at all, Christ comes uninvited. See, this Christmas, my encouragement to you is not just to know this, but to rejoice in this reality. That no matter what you're experiencing personally, no matter what's going on in the world globally, Jesus is a rival. He is the rival to the world that rejects him, born into it to overcome it. May that lead us to worship. Not just giving head nods to Jesus. This means that Psalm 46 is still the anthem of our lives as God's people. It's still an opportunity for us to get fired up. It's still an opportunity for us to press on. It's still a source of comfort and hope to not fear. For in Christ, this humble child born into this broken world, the captives are and will be set free. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is our God. This is our Savior, the God and King of Psalm 46. He is for us and he is with us. So come and see. Come and stand amazed. Come, let us adore him now and forever. God has spoken. He has spoken to us finally and fully in and through his son. And that is what, that is who we celebrate during Advent and Christmas. In John chapter 1, it says this, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So let me ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you know him or do you just know about him? Is he just a Christmas decoration to you? Or is he actually the Lord of your life, a real and true and ever-present God and King and Savior who is for you and with you? Knowing that God is God gives us the ability to not fear or fret even when difficult and trying things happen. Because none of this is about you fixing anything. It's about God fixing everything. He has begun this work by sending his son through whose life, death, and resurrection we are forgiven and set free from sin. And he will finish this work through his son 
by making everything sad become untrue, by making all things new. The waters may rage now in our lives and in this world, but one day, by faith in our Savior King, we will see the river whose streams make glad the city of God. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Until that day, at Christmas and every other time of the year, may we as God's people then have peace and hope and joy in our own lives and because of that, go and tell the world, our neighbors and the nations. Because he is for us and he is with us. May we be still and know that he is God. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. He will bring us all the way home. May our first act of response to the preaching of God's word this morning be to celebrate this truth by taking communion together. We come forward to the table to eat the bread and drink the cup because of this reality that in and through Christ, born some 2,000 years ago in the fullness of time, that God is for us and that God is with us. That what separated us from him has been overcome by him. Christ's body was broken His blood was shed for you so that you might be forgiven and free. So if you are in Christ, come forward with the anthem of Psalm 46 on your heart and your mind, coursing through your body, that God is your refuge, that God is your strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And for those of you that are not followers of Jesus, we would just ask you not to come forward to take communion. Because if this isn't yet your anthem, this isn't yet your declaration This isn't yet your hope. We want you to take Jesus first. So if you don't yet know Christ, just hang in your seat. Pray. Ask God to reveal himself to you. And if you're ready to take that step of faith, to place your faith in Jesus, you can tell God that and then let somebody around you know that so we can walk with you and help you journey and understand what it looks like to know and follow Jesus. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or the back. Tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Christ has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. God, what an unfathomable unfathomable reality this is. That you, the God of all creation, who brought everything into existence, that you, God, are for us, that you, God, are with us. And that Christ is the fulfillment of all these things. This psalm that has been sung for thousands of years. May we rejoice in it. May we declare it to be true. May we believe it. May we rest in it. Father, we do believe, but help our unbelief. We pray that we would be a church so focused on this, that we go and we are part of the nations knowing the greatness of who you are. That as we are still and know that you are God, that you will be exalted among the nations, that you would send us out with this surety, this hope, that you are the God that goes with us, that you are for us. 
Make yourself known in Fairfax. Make yourself known all over this country. Make yourself known all over this world. And help us to be faithful towards that end. We thank you, God, that you are a refuge, that you are our strength, that you are our very present help. May we know you, rest in you now and always. We praise your name this morning. May we continue to worship you now. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.